equal. You stand above all things. And we praise you and thank you for that. And I pray that as all the things that are going on in our world around us, all the challenges we face personally and as a nation, we realize you're the one that's in control. You are the one that has the name above every name. And I pray that we would re-ascertain that whole understanding of what we've been given in the power of the name of Jesus. And we just pray that you'll continue to raise us up as a beacon of hope, Lord. People are looking for hope. It's Jesus. And I just pray that you would continue your work in our lives, in our congregation. I pray now, Lord, that you'll take the word, the living word of God, and you'll speak to our hearts. Change our lives today. Let nothing in me get in the way of what you want to say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I was nine years old. Standing before me was the biggest obstacle of my life. It was the greatest challenge I had ever faced. And it epitomized life's greatest fears and life's greatest accomplishments. The high dive. We were living in Lake Mills, Iowa at the time, and the local swimming pool that we lived at every summer had two diving boards. I had long since conquered the fear of jumping or diving from a mere three feet above the water. But ten feet? I had already suffered the humiliation of retreating back down the ladder after losing my nerve at the top. So now was my chance. I had dreamt about it. I had rehearsed it. I had gone over all the motions in my head. My two older brothers who did not always give expressions of sibling support, were actually yelling encouragement from what seemed like about 100 feet below. Then I finally took the plunge, literally. I did it, and everybody had seen me. Now I wanted everyone to watch. I especially remember when my parents came with us to the pool that evening. It was no longer just enough to jump. I had to spin and twirl and dive. And it was very important to me that my parents watched. So I must have yelled at least a million times, watch me, watch me, watch me. I wanted them to see. How, are you guys awake? How many of you remember those childhood days? Yeah. When we never tired of doing something as long as someone was watching. Watch me, we'd cry, watch me. And as we grow older, we become more sophisticated. As teenagers, we just played the watching games, hoping someone special would notice. We wouldn't say in so many words, watch me, but we wanted to be noticed all the same. You know, we never quite get over the desire to say to others, watch me. As sophisticated adults, we just do it in more sophisticated ways. 
But the desire to be noticed, especially for feats of accomplishments, never goes away. The desire for recognition is part of human nature and will always be there. Jesus knew this part of human heart as well. He knew that we were far more likely to be good and do good when someone else is watching. Well, the Jews of his day had the same desires and the same tendency. And he speaks to this issue as we look at a passage in the book of Matthew. Today we're going to look at, watch me, Matthew 6, Matthew 6, Matthew the 6th chapter, and it's verses 1 through 4. You actually have it on your notes at the top of your notes as well. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There are really only three reasons that we do righteous deeds. We're going to look at all three today. There were three activities that were very important to the Jewish religion. These are the people that Jesus was speaking to. The giving of alms, which was giving to the needy or poor. There was prayer and there was fasting. These actions demonstrated religious devotion to them. And since these people like us wanted to be noticed, to say, watch me, Jesus addresses them. And we're going to look at giving of alms today. Giving of alms. Not so much just regarding giving money, which it applies to giving money, but also the giving of ourselves to serve others. Jesus gives three reasons that people do righteous things. People do good deeds. Three reasons. What are those three reasons? The first one is giving to look good. Giving to look good. And he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Giving to look good. Good deeds are religious acts. The very religious of Jesus' day did good deeds. Now, there's a lot of speculation about what it meant to announce it with trumpets or to sound a trumpet before them. We don't know exactly what that phrase meant. Was it metaphorical? We're not sure. But we do know that they did something to be noticed, okay? They did something so they could say, watch me, calling their attention. Jesus didn't say we shouldn't give to the poor. He just said it's possible to do so in an objectionable way. Like me, the nine-year-old standing atop the high dive, yelling at the top of my lungs, watch me, watch me. Some people make a public display of their generosity. Morris says they were more concerned about being known as benefactors than in genuinely helping the poor. To them, reputation was more important than the relief of poverty. Now, sometimes a good deed cannot be hidden. That's true. That's, that's good. But what Jesus addresses here is the heart. The heart, the internal, the motive. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 is what we're to do, Matthew 6 is, 
how we're to do it. This is the why, why we're to do it. How about today? Some people give to the poor to enhance their reputation or to look good. And as long as their name is published as one of the benefactors, they, they give. They will give as long as the building has their name on it. Now, I'm not chastising those who have buildings named after them, but if the condition on which they give the gift determines that, then it's wrong. Having my name engraved on a pew, stained glass window, or a chair. Now, I'm meddling. I know. That's what happens. Now, if someone else chooses to name a park or street or a building or a room or chapel after you, it's one thing. But if we only give, if we're recognized in some way, then we're hypocrites. He says we're hypocrites. One, one of the writers, his name is Morris, he writes about hypocrites. Listen carefully to this. A little long, but I want to uh, line it out. He says, and I quote, In classical Greek, the hypocrites was first an orator, then an actor. Okay, orator, then an actor. So figuratively, the word came to be applied to anybody who treats the world as a stage on which he plays a part. He lays aside his true identity and assumes a false one. In other words, he's no longer himself, but in disguise, impersonating someone else, he wears a mask. Now, in theater, he says, in theater, there's no harm or deceit. In the actors playing parts, you go to a play, you watch a movie, they're playing parts. It's an accepted convention. The audience knows that they've come to a drama. They're not deceived by that. The trouble with a religious hypocrite, on the other hand, is that he deliberately sets out to deceive people. He's like an actor in that he is pretending, yet he is quite unlike the actor in this respect. He takes some religious practice, which is a real activity, and turns it into what is never meant to be, a piece of make-believe, a theatrical display before an audience, and it's all done for applause. That's where hypocrite came from, actor hypocrite. Pretending to be something they're not, hypocrites. Giving to look good, whether it's money to a church or college, foundation to poor, good deeds, any, any good deeds that we do can be done in a wrong way, to look good. Maybe attending church just to look good, because if I don't go to church, what will people say? I've got to be here. What will people think if I'm not there? Or we want to be recognized as a member of a society or club or whatever. Giving to look good. Why do we do that? Why do we do what we do? That's the question. And what about rewards? You know, he talks about rewards here. If one gives to look good, you've already got the reward. Okay? You look good, that's all the reward you're going to get. It's over. You said, watch me. We watched, and now it's over. That's what he says. You wanted to look good, that's your reward. This is the external versus the internal reward. Barclay writes, the highest reward never comes to him who is seeking it. A man who is always calculating his reward is thinking of God in terms of judge or an accountant. And above all, he's thinking of life in terms of law. He's thinking of doing much and earning so much He's thinking of life in terms of credit and debit. A balance sheet. Thinking of life in terms of the law instead of love. 
He says the great paradox of Christian reward is this. The person who looks for a reward and calculates that it's due him does not receive it. We're calculating. I, I should get this reward. God should pay me back. I should get this. He doesn't receive it. The person whose only motive is love and who never thinks that he has deserved any reward does, in fact, receive it. The question, some people would say, does this verse contradict Matthew 5.16? Well, let's look at that real quick. Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16, the preceding chapter says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Well, that's a different context. He's talking about having a light and hiding under a bush. He's not talking about doing good deeds to point people to Jesus. It's a totally different thing. Matthew 5 is talking about cowardice or hiding our faith. Matthew 6 is vanity, wanting people to notice. Watch me. Our good works must be public so that our light shines. We need to do our good works in public. Our religious devotion must be in secret so we don't boast. Both have the same goal in mind. It's the glory of God. Watch me. Giving to look good. I don't know if that speaks to any of you. Okay. The second reason we give, Jesus talks about, is giving to feel good. Giving to feel good. This goes a little deeper. Well, aren't we supposed to feel good? Well, yes. But our motive for doing good deeds should not be to feel good. Okay? We should feel good and we do good deeds or we give. In verse 3, in verse 3, he says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, as a child, I used to take this really literally. I, I thought I had to get my money out of my pocket or later write a check one-handed. It's kind of hard to do. I think I mastered it at one point at some age, but... You, you didn't want your right hand to see. Well, it's a, it's a figure of speech. It's literal. But what Jesus is addressing is more subtle, more insidious kind of self-righteousness. In essence, he says to the Pharisees, and he says to us, don't even be impressed with yourself. Oh. Seek to be unselfconscious or unself-impressed. Our generosity is not a way to increase our spiritual standing before God. Self-congratulating or even feeling good. Do we feel good? Yes, probably. I, I hope we do. hope so. But is that why? Is that why we give? Bruner writes this, and I love this quote. He says, when we give... Not only should there not be external trumpets or public flurry, there should not even be any internal music, not even violins in the background, which might comfort us by suggesting the self-contentment that says, I am, after all, a pretty decent fellow. See, that's a, that's a more subtle way to look at it, making us feel good. In other words, don't just try to impress others. Don't even try to impress yourself. John Stott says, 
not only are we not to tell other people about our Christian giving, there's a sense in which we're not even to tell ourselves. We're not to be self-conscious in our giving, for our self-consciousness would readily deteriorate into self-righteousness. Ah. Give and let go. No calculation of reward or recognition or control. We give to God, not to people, not to the church, right-handed, left-handed, whatever it is. How do we, how do we give? It's very difficult when we give or do something righteous or good not to congratulate ourselves and think about how good we are. And when we do that, we say, watch me, look at me. And then we take this kind of subtle pleasure in the fact that I'm the only one that knows how great I am. See how subtle that can be, deceptive? Jesus addresses the external watch me and the internal. So there's giving to look good, giving to feel good. Finally, the right action, giving to do good, number three. Giving to do good. Giving to look good is seeking the praise of people. Giving to feel good is congratulations of myself. Giving to do good is seeking the approval of God. Giving to make God look good. When we do these acts of righteousness or give, ask ourselves this question. Would I be doing this if nobody was watching? You know, if, if nobody is watching me jump off and do all these theatrics on the high dive, it takes all the joy out of it because I'm doing it so they look at me. And sometimes we live our Christian life and have our walk just so we gain the attention. Makes me feel good. Would I be doing this if nobody was watching? And would I be doing this if it didn't make me feel good? One pastor said, I want you to give until it hurts. And he said this. He said, reach into your neighbor's pocket, take out his wallet, and give like you've always wanted to give. <laughs> would I do this even if it didn't feel good or no one noticed? And only God knew. Authentic Christian righteousness is internal. It's secret. It shows on the outside, but we don't care as long as God is glorified. God being glorified. We've watched a lot of things on television and the movies and seeing in comic strips, etc. Superheroes like Superman. Superman, he does all these remarkable good deeds and never gets recognition. He always turns up in the next scene as Clark Kent, the bespectacled reporter. No credit. He does all these things and nobody knows who did it. Well, we're called to be more like Clark Kent. I know we're supposed to be like Jesus, but we're called to be more like Clark Kent. Good deeds and no one really knows who. And of course, as we go back over history and read the historical and even mythical characters who hid their identities, they did it many times in order to, to do good. Zorro, the Lone Ranger, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Scarlet Pimpernel. How many of you know Scarlet Pimpernel? My favorite movie. Anyway, but God doesn't need us to don capes and masks. He just wants us to do our good deeds in secret, in secret. And in verse 4 it says, then your father who sees what is done in secret 
will reward you. The reward is now and it's future. Giving to look good, giving to feel good, or giving to do good, or giving to make God look good. Is it watch me? Or is it watch God? Good works. So they think of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus addressed some of the most common issues in our, in our walk with God and in our, our religious life. And I just pray, God, that you would teach us in a new way to be able to give you the glory and as we carry out our, our works, that they would be done for you, for your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.